With a brief word on how the Bible describes the believer, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The Bible describes us apart from God as being spiritually blinded, but now being born again, we have spiritual life added to our physical life. This is amazing grace. It's been well said that we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. In other words, one who is saved by faith demonstrates that faith by a changed life. We'll hear more about that on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've been in a series entitled With, and today from John chapter 10, we'll hear of 10 things that characterize a genuine believer. Here to explain is Pastor Ed. Jesus is giving them the truth And he's repeating the same thing that he said last time, giving them the truth. And he says, look, my sheep, you're not my sheep. That's why you don't believe. That's why you don't hear me. That's why you're not acting on what I say. And notice what what the shepherd does now in relationship, verse 28. He says, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Verse 28 is is a verse of safety and security. That, that the shepherd gives eternal life. And he makes it very clear. That life is eternal. Secondly, he defines it. And he says, not only do I give eternal life, but they'll never perish. That's an absolute statement. And not only that, never perish, but neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. There's that safety and security with the shepherd. And then verse 29, he gives it even greater. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. While the false shepherds bring destruction and chaos, while the thief comes except to kill, steal, and destroy, the good shepherd gives safety and security. And you can rest in him. And notice he gives it. He gives And so what do we do? We receive that. We don't take it. We receive it. It reminded me of how we do the tithes and offerings here. You know, we don't have people walking with baskets or anything taking an offering. We rather approach it by saying we receive. You voluntarily and willingly give, and we as a church receive it and use it under the glory of God. So we have offering boxes around. We don't take it. We receive it because you're ready to give. You come to worship, you're ready to give. So we receive it. It's what we, how we respond to the gospel. We don't take it like it's ours. We receive it as a gift and we're grateful for it. And when we receive the gift of salvation, we are secure because of the shepherd, not because of us. And we are safe because of the shepherd, not because of us. And we will not be snatched away, which which kind of implies that there'll be attempts to snatch you away. There'll be temptations. There'll be people and things and, and, that to snatch you away. Even yourself at times would want to walk away and just give up. I quit. It's like, no, not even you will snatch you out of the Father's hands. <laughs> and so what happens? This is such a great verse. 
Even in all your doubts and concerns, you know, you might even lay down, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. Well, do you hear the shepherd's voice? Yep. Have you followed him? Yep. Well, nobody's going to snatch you out of the Father's hands, out of the shepherd's hands. Great. And you can, even when you're doubting and concerned, this is one of those places you go to and go, no, I'm saved because of what he has done, not because of what I do. It's so cool. So what do people do with truths like this? They argue, they like to make it one of the most controversial things in all the church. Pastors fight about it. The dominations fight about it. Everybody's got an opinion. Are you secure or are you not secure? Can you use your salvation have your salvation? Look, look. Jesus says, you hear his voice. He gives you eternal life. You will never perish. And nobody will snatch you out of his hands. That should comfort you and encourage you. Not give you permission to live like the devil. Because if you live like the devil, maybe you're not saved. And you have to consider whether you're following the shepherd or not. And I like this phrase. I picked it up from my friend Gino Geraci. Uh, and so I made it my own. And he said this, and I like this. I believe in the security of the believer and the insecurity of the make-believer. And so that sense of, yeah, believers can be secure. Because if a person's playing games with God, and they're just playing, dabbling with church and pretending to be a believer, which only they truly know, then, then they have no security. No comfort, no confidence. They're frustrated. They're fearful. They're in anguish. They're filled with anxieties. They're unsure if they're saved one day and not the next. And it makes sense that God would keep us secure. You know how Peter put it? Peter would know because he went through some struggles. You know how Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5? He said, you are kept by the power of God. It's not kept by your good works. Not kept by your feelings. He says, you could feel like you're not saved and still be saved. You can feel, you can have all kinds of weird feelings, but still be a believer. And you can be a person that thinks, you know what? I was raised that way. I received the Lord, but I want to go try my own thing. We call that backsliding. And only believers backslide. Unbelievers don't backslide. They rebel and they live in total rebellion against God. But only believers backslide. And they do so at their own peril and their own consequences. And ask any prodigal that ever walked away and came back if they regret it. They'll say yes. Because the consequences of a believer sinning against knowledge are actually worse. Because you knew better. And so God just calls you back. Calls you back home. Which leads us to the final part of our time today. If you're taking notes, I want to talk about the difference between a believer and a make-believer. Because you might be asking the question by now, well, how do I know if I'm a believer or not? What are the characteristics do I look for? Especially those of you that just found yourself accepting Jesus Christ during this crisis or you're a new believer and you don't know much about the Bible and you don't know much about what to, to know and am I a real believer or not? Or you're a, this is also good for those that have a tendency to doubt or to rely on their feelings more than faith. And they, you know, when you fail and yell at the kids or, you know, you get mad and a cuss word comes out of your mouth and you're just like, oh, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. Well, here are some things to look at that will show you the evidence of a changed life. So there's 10 of them, but there's not, they're not exclusive. And we only have a little bit of time, so I'm going to go through 10 of them kind of quickly. So number one, what does a believer look like? Number one, a believer has spiritual life, spiritual life. 1 John 5.11, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. So there's just a sense of spiritual life. The Bible describes us apart from God as being spiritually blinded, but now being born again, 
we have spiritual life added to our physical life. Number two, a person that's a believer, a follower of Christ, a disciple, has a new, number two, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You have a brand new sensitivity to the third person of God who dwells in you. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It says, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So just like when Jesus convicted you of sin when you were born again, and you responded, you have that relationship continually now. You have a sensitivity to things that you never had before because you have spiritual life, and now God lives inside of you, and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He'll speak through you and to you from his word, no matter where you are. Number three, and this is an important one in the time that we're in, a believer has a real desire for fellowship with other believers. You just want to be with other believers. It's not just a family gathering. It's not just getting together to talk about the Broncos or the Rockies. You have a desire to be with people to talk about and enjoy the things of God together. Now, for those of us that got saved later in life, like that was the last thing I ever want. I never wanted to be in church or talk about God ever. And what a stark contrast for the believer that goes, no, I, I want to, what's God doing in your life? What did you learn in your devos today? I want to come together and just sing in a room filled with people. I mean, imagine that. Like, where did that come from? You were born again. You're a new person now. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that also you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So that desire for fellowship is first with God. The word fellowship just means to share in common. And you can only share in common when you're together in some way. And the technology has bridged that gap for us physically. And we may have had a few people over to the house to talk about things of God. But when you get back together as the church, and when you travel when you travel and you're in another city, you're on vacation, or you're traveling somewhere in another country, what do you, you look for a church. And I've been, to, I've been to places where I didn't know the language, but I went to church. And even though I didn't know the language, and even though I didn't know what they were singing, I was in the room and the Spirit of God was there. And the Spirit of God in fellowship transcends whether we even know each other's language or not. Because you've got the language of the Spirit right there in fellowship. And now as a believer, you want to be in fellowship. Number four, number four, the, one of the marks of the believer is steady obedience. Steady obedience. In John 10, 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So we obey God now. Now, I didn't say perfect obedience. I said steady obedience. Nobody has perfect obedience. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fail. But a steady obedience Jesus said, if you love me, right, we're obedient, not because we have to, but because of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you love me, you'll want to know my commandments. You'll listen to me. You'll be in the Word. So you have a steady obedience. There's something different about your life than before you were born again. Number five, another mark of the believer is spiritual assurance. Sometimes it's mistaken for arrogance, but you're not arrogant. You're just assured that God has worked in your life. 
Somebody might even come, how, how do you know God? So oh, I believe what he said. Well, what do you mean? wait a minute, what about this? And you're like, you, you have this confidence and assurance. And that's a mark of a believer. First John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance. We can be confident that we're going to heaven. Not because of what we have done, but because of the promise of Jesus. It's his gift. We're secure because of his power. We're going to heaven because of his promises. And when times of doubt and discouragement come, we can rest upon the sure foundation of God's promise to us. Number six, a believer also has spiritual security. As we're seeing here, safety and security. No one snatches us out of his hands. No one. And you can jot it down in Romans chapter 8, verses 37, 38, and 39. This says, no one and nothing can take us away and separate us from the love of God. Jesus says, nobody's going to snatch you out of my hands. Nobody's going to snatch you out of the Father's hands. You can rest in the promise of security. He has you. And it's not because, and you go, wait a minute, Ed, what about those that live like the devil? Listen, if you live like the devil, I warn you, examine yourself as you, whether you're in the faith or not. Because a person that loves God will not live for the enemy. And if he does live for the enemy, he won't do so with any sense of peace. It will not bring him the kind of peace and joy that he's looking. You know, the thing about sin is usually we're tempted by sin when we're feeling empty when we're feeling like desolate and there's, we're just like primed for that right temptation. And then when you take the temptation and you choose to sin, what happens? Sin leaves you emptier than when you were before. So you, you kind of like, man, maybe this will make, fill me. Maybe this will make me happy. And what happens? Sin makes you more unhappy than you were and more empty than you were. And that's because there's that assurance that you have in your life and security that you come back to the shepherd. You hear his voice? That's how it starts. You start listening to his voice and you find yourself following him and obeying him. A couple more. Number seven. A believer loves what God loves. Isn't that neat? You love what God loves. And that love is tied together through 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's not like. You know, sometimes we'll use the word love as an emphasis on like. So I really love that. And what you mean is you really like it. That's not what we're saying here. When you love what God loves, it's an agape, self-sacrificial love where you are willing to commit yourself to it. At the personal cost, at a high personal cost as you deny yourself, you love what God loves. We have a whole new way of looking at the world. We have the love of God abiding us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which brings us to number 8. If you love what God loves, then number eight, you're going to hate what God hates. You're going to hate what God hates. That love comes with a godly hatred. Not of people, but of the destruction of sin. It'll break your heart. Sin will break your heart. It'll upset you. The filth and the perversity of, the, of this world is no longer tolerated in your life. You, you no longer invite it. And, and when you see sin, your heart's broken for the sinner, but you hate the sin. And so you love what God loves, seven. Number eight, you hate what God hates. Number nine, I didn't have a really good way. I have to explain number nine, but the phrase I guess I'd use is God wins. And here's what I mean. When there are spiritual disagreements, like for example, when you're reading the Bible and the Bible says, do this, and you say, oh, I don't want to do that, God always wins. 
So you could say number nine is a believer surrenders to the will of God. And it's not your will, but it's his will. I think a great picture of that is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, where he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there are many times when you're reading in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit says, that's for you. And you go, no, that's not for me. That's for my husband. That's for my wife. That's for my friend. And God says, that might be for them, but it's for you. And you just surrender. The best word that I like to describe this is that the believer is a yielded person. James chapter 3, verse 17 says this. Wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. So think of that, voluntary, willing. And the mark of a believer is they're willing to yield to the will of God and not fight it all the time. Our resistance and fighting nature is replaced with one that's willing to yield. And we find ourselves bending more and finding greater flexibility with the will of God. And number 10, Another sign of a believer that wasn't there before is that believers long for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Who else would care that Jesus Christ is coming back except believers? And not only do we care, we are excited and almost to a point impatient with the return of Jesus Christ. It says in Psalm 27 verse 8, when you, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And so you can see how I believe in the security of the believer, but the insecurity of the make-believer. And yet to either person God calls, the shepherd, his voice goes out for us to hear and receive. Even to the Jews here in John chapter 10, he said, I told you, I've been talking to you. My voice has gone out to you. What you lack is belief, believing in what I say, believing in what I say. You see, that's the key to spiritual life. The key to spiritual life is faith, that we walk by faith and not by sight, Paul would say. We walk by faith and not by feelings. We walk by faith and not by our opinions and and our attitudes. And I'm grateful for that because faith will take everything and bring us back down to that place of self-sacrifice, which is the greatest obstacle in our spiritual growth. The greatest obstacle in our spiritual growth is not someone else, it's us. It's me and what God wants to do in my life. So if you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, this is the real, like you've heard, and now it's time to match that with belief. That's really the reason why. Jesus came to earth, was to save your soul. He did it willingly, voluntarily, vicariously, with great victory in his resurrection. And today, if you'll turn away from your sins, and you will, and the Bible word for that is repent, and you will confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the promise of God is that you will be saved. And so I want to invite you to follow the shepherd today. I'm not inviting you to follow a church or a pastor. I'm not inviting you to follow a man or a woman that's a teacher. On behalf of God, I'm his messenger to invite you to follow him and join us in following Jesus Christ. But but you can't just do it without, you can't do it outside a relationship. Then you'll just be a make-believer. 
be frustrated. And you'll have no eternal security, no eternal life, no eternal hope, because you know more than anyone the fakery that's in your life. But you can deal a death blow to fakery today by repenting of your sins. So you could talk to God like this. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Help me, God, to turn away and repent of my sins. And I think someone just needs to pray, help me, God, to be delivered from my addiction. And you know, the Bible says that anyone that calls out on the name of Jesus will not be cast away. And so he welcomes you, that sincere, true, repentant heart. And we're excited for you, and we're glad that you made that choice today. Amen. We echo those reassuring words from Pastor Ed Taylor. The Lord welcomes your sincere faith in Him, and we welcome you to the family as well. We're indeed excited for what the Lord has in store for you. This is Abounding Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had the chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word, and you can download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. You'll also find us on Apple Podcasts. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. So, Pastor Ed, you've got a new book we can talk about. It's called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Do you think this book relates to today's topic on eternal security? You know, Larry, even though this book isn't a book on the topic of eternal security, it absolutely speaks to the faithfulness of God, especially in difficult times. And the idea that he keeps us all the way to the end. Uh, One of the places where our faith is attacked is in great trials. Especially when people attack you, uh, when they take advantage of you, when they're unrepentant, when others seem to join their cause. And you're just like, what is going on? What, why aren't you protecting me, God? Why aren't you stopping them? Why aren't you? I mean, reading through the Psalms, you would be relating to David. If that's your story, it certainly has been my story. Uh, you like look and you go, David, how did you make it through? Uh, I mean, what, what did you do with your doubts? And as you read through the Psalms, you see that he turned his doubts toward the Lord. And remembered the faithfulness of God. I was even reading recently uh, this this beautiful reminder uh, that as David looks back on his life, he says that it was good. I mean, check this out. Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Imagine that. It is good for me that I've been afflicted. And you're going to be able to say that too, all the way to the end, remembering that God has begun a good work in you and he's faithful to complete it. So I would encourage you to pick up this book. It's a helpful tool to help you uh, grow in grace, to get your eyes on the Lord, 
It's good for any pain, any problem, the depths of grief to, you know, just personal attacks to family issues. It's, it's a book about the faithfulness of God. And we titled it God's Help for the Troubled Heart. And the feedback on it's been amazing. And I just want to say again, thank you guys so much uh, for supporting it, getting it, giving it away in Jesus' name. Uh, it's pretty surprising, you know, especially for um, a self-published title. We're just so encouraged to put it into your hands and encourage you and strengthen you. So thanks for asking. We'll gladly send you a copy of Pastor Ed's new book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Simply call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And please remember us in your giving to the Lord in 2021. It's by God's abounding grace that we come to you day by day. Another way you can donate to the ministry is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We've got one more study to go in our series called With. Hear all about the hope you can experience from God's lavish love next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.